because you're jumping back into the gap. Oh, let's hey, go. Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Awesome to welcome Colgate University head coach Ganinat Adi Dunton to the Basketball Podcast. In her second season, coach Adi Dunton orchestrated one of the greatest single season improvements in program history. Colgate increased its win total by 10 games in 2022-23, finishing 16-4 overall in 10-8 in the Patriot League play to secure the number four seed in the Patriot League tournament. One of the greatest factors contributing to last season's success was the team's defense, which ranked ninth nationally in three-point field goal percentage defense and 12th in scoring defense, good enough to lead the Patriot League in both categories. Addy Dunton arrived at Colgate after three seasons as the top assistant coach and four seasons overall on the staff of Jennifer Rizzotti at George Washington. Addie Dunton has also served at coaching stints at Northeastern University, Wheelock College, and Florida State University School. Coach G, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Chris. So excited to talk to you. Um, well, let's first start with this. Uh, Colgate, not the easiest job, but uh, in a short time, you've uh, got it going in the right direction. So maybe start talking about a little bit of the process of going to Colgate and then getting it going in the right direction. Yeah. Um... I was pretty really excited when I took this job because I, I saw it as a, a place with a lot of potential, um, specifically with what other sports teams were already doing. Um, so you think about men's basketball, uh, women's volleyball, women's ice hockey, women specifically. So for me, it showed that you could recruit good, good athletes here and you can find success. Um, so that was intriguing, um, aside from just it being high academic and a league that I had paid a lot of attention to over the years, I felt like there was a diamond in the rough here, um, just with some recruiting and, um, a different change to how things are, are culturally. I, I, I really felt like this could be a competitive place, um, where we can lay our mark. Well, and you've laid your mark, and we're going to get into a lot of those things that, uh, you know, have, have helped you along the way. But let's start with this first, because uh, by training, you're a nurse, and that's got to be unique. Are you the only head coach who was a previously a nurse? I don't know the answer to that. Um, Nor do we. <laughs> <laughs> my guess is that there is not, there aren't many. Um, but yeah, I, I really look at my mentality and just my philosophy stems a lot is driven from just how I was trained as a nurse. We focus a lot on holistic development. Think about Florence Nightingale and just the way our, our books were written and um, what our focus was. Uh, care was a big part um, of how we were trained to really care about our patients, um, be an advocate for them, thinking about them as a whole person and not just, hey, this is the illness, this is the ailment they have. If you really uh, think about everything that's connected to them from their culture, their body, their mind, their spirit, all of a sudden you're able to find a way to target their care um, in a different way. And I think about it the way our players are. Every single player on my team is different and unique. Of course, some similarities, uh, but each one of them came from a different background. Each one of them has a different culture. Each one of them, um, their spirit is different. Their mind, their body is different. So how can I meet them where they are and really try to coach them individually, still coaching them together, but coach them individually, because if I think about them as an individual, then I can hopefully get them the best out of them. But a lot of it is driven from that mentality. The other piece is I, I always try to remind myself is it's not life or death. Um, as much as I am a competitor, uh, being a high achiever has just always been something that was ingrained in me from, a, from an early age. Um, but just knowing that it is a game. Um, and re remembering that on a daily basis, uh, it's supposed to be fun. Uh, I worked in a profession where it was not a game. Um, you had to be on it all the time. It wasn't, I think the care I'm providing right now is more preventative and proactive. The care I would give at times as a nurse was not. Um, some of it was emergency situations, but remembering in those really tough situations, hey, telling myself, relax, you're good. Um, there's a lot of good that you can always find in, in a day, but I do feel like a lot of it transfers over and 
the way I lead, the way I, I show up every single day. Great stuff. The holistic development, the genuine care. I'm curious because as coaches, we talk about building relationships and the importance of the relationships with your players, administration, fans, et cetera. Is that something that's taught in the nursing profession? Is that something that's encouraged or does that not necessarily translate the same way? Yeah, it is. Um, communication is big. So making sure you're asking the right questions to listen to the kind of answers and response that you want. You think, uh, I think back on just doing a, uh, a physical, we start with a history of the patient. So this is getting as much information as we can before they even tell us what may be happening. We can, we can potentially pull out a lot of information before they, you know, tell us why they may be there. Uh, so in those moments, in that conversation is where you're building that relationship with them. And when you can show them that you care about them, not just for why they're there, but everything that matters to who they are as a whole full person, then they end up sharing a little bit more. So that is a big part of it. And for sure, another thing that transfers over to how I coach and how I build relationships with players is try to get to, I always say you got to peel the orange sometimes. You're not going to get everything you want at first, um, but I, I will sit and I'll ask questions in different ways to get the information I need. And imagine in both professions being deliberate and direct has value as well. Yes, absolutely. And I, I do consider myself a pretty direct person. Um, I don't talk around things, so I'm, I'm pretty clear, concise with things that I'm saying. And, and when I know I, I need some form of information, uh, it's going to be pr pretty clear. Well, I love that. I've got to know you a little bit. And I love that part of your personality as well. And uh, we can get right to the point and get right to the problem solving or solution based type thinking. And uh, the other thing that you connected there is not life or death. And I know that's a big part of your philosophy as well, which is celebrate everything. So maybe we should go into that now. Yeah, I uh, when you're building something, um, you're not going to get that ultimate prize, right? But the the joys in the journey. So always trying to remember that and letting our players know that there is growth. It may not be this like huge, substantial growth um, where you're you're winning a championship or you're winning 20, 30 games or whatever it is. But every single day, if you're showing up and you're you're growing just a little bit, you're ultimately going to reach the success at some point. Um, but to keep yourself optimistic and positive, uh, one of the things that we do is let's clap for it, something I'll say. So whether that be an on-court type success, whether that be an on-court success, something that we've said, we're going to be focused on this this week. And if we're doing it, like we got to celebrate it. So finding opportunities to just pause and enjoy it. And I love the saying, you know, celebrate everything, get back to work. So we're not celebrating to be content. We're celebrating to be like, hey, we're, we're really happy with where we are, but we're going to keep pushing ourselves and be hungry to continue to get better. Well, and that is the challenge of it, right? A lot of coaches don't want to celebrate things that they consider not the end goal or the final prize, but let's clap for it. Is that that simple, right? It's just like, yeah. we're just going to acknowledge it and move on. Yeah. And it's turned to a thing. Now our players, when something happens, they'll say, hey, can we clap for that? And I'm like, absolutely. Let's clap <laughs> for it. Let's just pause and be still for a moment and just be excited about what we just accomplished. And that's where you find the excitement and the joy. And if you, if you can feel, keep finding like small wins, it keeps everyone motivated and inspired. And that's something that we have with our players right now is like they're fine, trying to find ways like to be excited and to be joyful for each other. And that's what we're doing as a coaching staff and the way that we're leading them. Well, that's great. I mean, they're the ones that are taking charge of that slogan now as well. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> For me, that was one of the hardest things early in my career, though, was, was you know, because I think in sport, especially, but I think in basketball, like coaches are always supposed to be intense. They're supposed to be hard. They're supposed to be all these different things. And to take those moments to smell, uh, to celebrate small things. I mean, it really is hard. And it's got to be very deliberate on your part in terms of that. Did you write that on your practice plan? The different things that you thought you could celebrate that day or? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, we're really consistent with how we. Um how we approach um, post-game. So if we play a game on this day, we come in the next day the same exact way. So it's what went well, what didn't go well, what are some things that we can do a little bit better or differently as we move forward? And in those moments, in the what went well, we're celebrating. Hey, we had talked about, we want to keep a team, so whatever number or um, percentage, we're going to celebrate it. We're going to celebrate some standouts in the game. Um, if it's someone that we've noticed made some huge improvement with rebounding, we're going to clap for them. Um, and then... A lot of, you know, I think about our culture and things that are important to us. A lot of it also stems with off the court when I'm talking about celebrating successes. Like, I want to know what things are going well in their lives and how how special is it for you to share something and to have a whole team around you who's celebrating you in that moment? Like we had a kid who talked about an internship that she just received or a great a, a grade that she had been 
her grade in an exam that she had been studying for all week. Like we want to know those things and we want to feel the love from each other. Um, but it is intentional. It's very intentional about letting them know like, hey, I'm on you guys um, and really pushing you to continue to grow and improve. And when you do it, I'm going to celebrate it. I'm going to make sure that you know that I see it, but I'm going to keep pushing to keep working at it and continue to work to, to get better. That's super stuff. And then another part that connects to all this about, uh, you know, building your players, building your program is this player development philosophy of yours. And can you talk a little bit about these development development meetings? I think you do them four times a year, right? Yes, um, we do. One, one of the things that I love about coaching as an assistant, I loved the player development piece was just my, my favorite part. Um, you know, with coaching, just being able to see a player go from one place to another is just really exciting. So I'm very, very involved with development, um, not just with conversations, but on the court with development too. So um, I, I feel like with development, I want my players to be uh, collaborative with us as a coaching staff. So it's not just like we have these goals for you. Um, in one of our very first early meetings of the year, it's like, what, what goals do you have for yourself? Like, where do you want to go? Where do you want this season to be for you? Um, but it can't just be, I want to be a better three-point shooter. Okay. Like let's, let's make sure it's measurable. Um, and let's make sure we have an action plan. So sometimes it's, we sit in the, something, some of the meetings will go a little bit longer because it's like, we need some actionable steps so that we can refer back to it. When we have our next development meeting, now we can say, okay, what things went well, what things do we need to adjust? And we're actually doing those things on the court with them. So we're really, really, um, it, it's really clear, you know, what the improvements are. Um, those are the type of workouts we're going to be doing with them. And those are the things that we're going to be telling them to be doing on their own. If it's getting more shots up, as they're working on certain moves, like those are things that come up in that plan. So it happens four times a year. Um, we evaluate it. Uh, sometimes we add more goals as the year is going. And, uh, and we refer back to it. So our coaching staff knows like, hey, these are the goals that they set for themselves. These are the things that we want them to continue to work on. And my goal is like, you're not going to be the same player that you were when you first got here. We'd be doing you a disservice if that was the case. So we want you to continue to add to your tool, tool belt um, and just keep you know, improving. Because if you can get better as an individual, then all of a sudden our entire team is getting better. So can you give us a perspective? So there's four different meetings. I assume they're at four different times of the year. Can you give us just a brief overview of what those different periods of the year would be? And then what kind of general things would be covered in those four different periods? Yeah, so the very first one usually is early on, um, end of the summer, typically. So we usually have them for summer session. Um, so before they come in the meeting, they have they receive an email from me and it's, hey, I want you to write out two to three goals of yours. Oh, first, sorry, let me go backwards a little bit. I want them to write out what their strengths and weaknesses are, all right? So there are times when I'll have conversations with players and they're not even, they're so shy with what they're good at. And I'm like, are, are you <laughs> kidding me right now? Like, you're good at that. You got to write in like, are you sure? Yes. So try to build their confidence too, because this is something that they can use in their life thereafter playing basketball. So really being confident in what you're good at and then also being aware of what things that may not be a strength of yours right now. So they write that and then they write about two to three goals and then action steps. So their goals usually with our newcomers, we have to help them formulate, okay, this is a measurable type goal with a percentage or a number and a days, whatever it is that we can refer back to. Okay, if you're going to shoot his number of shots, this is the ultimate goal that we want. So that's what happens in that meeting. Then we have a follow-up meeting. Um, usually right before our first games would start in that meeting we're doing, we're reflecting back on the last couple of like six, six weeks to two months of what went well, what didn't go well, what did you do? Why did it not go well? Do we want to make some adjustments? And in that meeting, they already were sent an email, um, to create performance goals. So now we're going into the season. Like, what do you want these goals to be before it was more like, this is just the skill work, the development piece overall of you improving as a player. Now, what do we want our performance goals to be? And then we meet again midway through the season to double check and just make sure like, okay, are you on the right track? Are you doing the things that you need to be doing? And then we meet at the end of the year to discuss postseason, like what things do you want to get better at now? And then it just starts over again at, at the end of the summer. So, I mean, it's, it's, it seems clear, obviously for your players that are, their goals meet your expectations. And then they have a chance to obviously follow through with those. What about for a player whose goals do not necessarily meet your expectations or the role they're going to have on the team? How do you help balance that for the player? Um, that it goes back to me being direct. Um, 
because I want our players to one, leave that meeting feeling confidence, but I also don't want them leaving and um, feeling like, you know, <laughs> what, what unrealistic more so. So I, it's, it's happened. It's happened a few times, um, but it's me just talking through it all. Okay. Like, where are we right now? Um, really like having them, I guess, start more with curiosity and asking open-ended questions. Um, and usually when those questions are asked, they tend to get to it instead of me getting to it. Because again, I want it to be really big collaboration. I don't want to tell them like, I only want you doing this or you can't do that. It's, hey, let's think through this. Let's look back at what you've done previously. Let's look back. We'll talk about some practice stats too in some of these conversations. Let's see where you are. And then when all those that data, the information is being provided, they tend to get there on their own without me being so uh, blunt with, hey, this is unrealistic. And, and sometimes you need to be blunt, as you talked about being direct in terms of those things. And then these player de development meetings, obviously, they drive your player development plan for players. So talk about you mentioned it briefly, but talk about how you connect it for the player that what they're doing in these player development sessions or team practices are helping them along their plan, because I imagine that's a big part of what you're doing. Oh, absolutely. Um, and our coaches refer back to it. So when we're doing preseason workouts and a coach might have two or three kids, sometimes one on one, if it's a footwork issue that they need to get better at, like a lot, a lot of the time and focus is spent on that. We also meet as a staff and go through every single kid, um, especially in the preseason. We'll meet again at different points during the year. Like maybe a kid needs to add this or maybe a kid needs to work on this and improve on this. So the, the collaboration, the, the communication continues with our coaching staff. So it's not just me that knows it, their position coach knows it, and everyone on staff knows what this kid needs to continue to get better at. So it is ongoing, but a lot of the skill work takes place in the preseason, postseason. But one thing we're also really intentional about is in-season development. Um, so our player, our coaches have a few players that they work with specifically. So that's why it's something that continues over time because you're not going to see improvement in a day or two. It's small increments over a long period of time. And this is not just player development in terms of basketball. You're also focusing on their ability to be able to build relationships, their ability to be able to be better leaders, career development, all these different things as well. So maybe just connect that for us. Yeah, um, our philosophy and my philosophy starts with a person first. Um, so again, it goes back to that holistic development and where uh, I pull that from just the, the nursing background and just how I was coached too. I've, I have some really, really great mentors and people I really pull a lot of my philosophy from and just how I approach coaching. Uh, so as much as we're going to develop them as players on the court, we want to develop them overall as people so that they can ultimately reach or strive to reach and become their best versions. Uh, so with relationships, um, I... Uh, I, it's it's important to me. So it's intentional. We do what's called connection groups with our kids where uh, each assistant coach has a couple of players that they meet with pretty frequently. Frequently, I'm meeting with with players consistently. But I have conversations with my players too. Like this relationships is, is too two sided. It can't just be one way. Like automatically, we're going to be reaching out to you and want to talk to you and build relationships with you and be very, very intentional. But the best relationships are the ones where it's 50-50, right? So there has to be that collaboration. There has to be that grace that's also given to me because there's only one of me. And I'm also human. One of me and 14, 15, sometimes 16 players. Um, but they know that anytime they reach out, they want to talk outside of anything. I'm dropping everything. Hey, let's meet at this time because that, that conversation is the most important to me. Um, we do a lot when it comes to leadership and career de development as well. Um, cause I feel like everyone has the opportunity to be a leader, regardless of what, what class that you're in. Um, but it's just going to look a little bit different, um, for each kid, depending on where they are, uh, in their, in their college career, but really trying to build them up ultimately as people, we always try to transfer a lot of things that we talk about, whether we're reading a book in the, in the beginning of the year, yes, it might be targeted and focused on basketball. I'm always saying to them, Hey, this is a life lesson and a life skill right here. You know, how to push and push through adversity, um, how to be resilient and grow toughness. We've done sessions on like our poses, you know, the confidence that you have to exude um, turns into like career development stuff like LinkedIn, resume writing, financial literacy. We do a lot of things with our players. And ultimately, like I am, I want to coach basketball. I want to be on the court all day, but I find a lot of joy just in being able to develop them off the court. Um, I, I think and feel like a big part of what I get to do is teach and educate. 
Um, and that's the joy and the excitement mostly in being a head coach. We talked briefly just before the podcast, the chicken or the egg. When you talk about building a program, you talk about building the defense, building the offense. You know, obviously the ideal situation is both at the same time, which you're trying to do, but inevitably what became the cornerstone for your success early on has been the defense and the rebounding. And uh, we said the numbers already in the introduction, but ninth nationally in three-point field goal percentage and then 12th in scoring defense, which both led the Patriot League. So maybe first just give us an oversight of the defensive philosophy that has led to that success. Yeah, um, the philosophy would start more so with what we call our absolutes. And um, we have core values. And then we also have just like program specific absolutes. So they're non-negotiables. So you have to communicate, you have to compete. Um, you have to have energy and enthusiasm. So it's communication, competitiveness, energy and enthusiasm. And that transfers over a lot to the basketball side of things, but it also transfers to just how they live their lives too. You got to be a great communicator in anything you're doing. So whenever they get jobs in the future, like if you can't talk to people, it's going to be really, really hard for you to to make it. Um, Being a high achiever, every time you show up on the basketball court, there's no point in doing it if you're not going to give your best, if you're not going to be striving to win. So we're always talking about that. And then energy and enthusiasm. There's no point in doing this thing called play basketball in college if you're not having joy, passion and excitement for wanting to grow and get better. So that's the thing that we talk about consistently. And in the second year, there was a a lot more like buy in because uh, it was just something we emphasized. Not that we didn't emphasize in the first year. We just emphasize it even more like you're not going to get to play basketball if you don't show up every single day willing to grow with your communication skills. If you're not going to compete, you're not going to have energy and enthusiasm. So that transfers over to the defensive end. Um, We were uh, really adamant about making sure uh, there's not much we can control, right, in this game. But I think as a a coach, we can control a little bit of how hard that you play. If you don't work hard, it's going to make it really, really hard for you to play here at Colgate. Um, And defense is important to me. Uh, You don't have to be the most talented player to be tough and resilient. Because that's all it is. You have to be tough, you have to be resilient, and you have to be determined. Um, so on the defensive end of thing, we establish that as our identity. Like when we show up every single day, we're going to be consistent on this side of the floor. <laughs> and our goal is to make it really, really hard for our opponent. Um, we're also really, really um, scout specific. Like we have our base principles, but we also watch film and we scout. And then our base principles may tweak a little bit because of the scout. But the defensive piece is one that I've always been passionate about as a player. And then when I became a coach, I mean, you got to score to win. But if you can't defend and stop somebody, it's going to make it really hard to win as well. Well, and especially as you're building a new program back up, right, in that way. So talk to us a little bit. And we're going to come back to defense and dive deeper. But talk to us about that challenge, because obviously you want to be good on both ends of the ball and you will be eventually. But there's definitely been some struggles on offense that I know you've been constantly trying to figure out. Oh, yeah. You know, we're always trying to figure out how can we uh, create more opportunities for us, for ourselves? How can we put the ball in the basket? I'm always saying that to our staff. How can we figure out more ways to put the ball in the basket? And we do feel like our defense helps with that. So being able to play in transition a little bit more, um, changing up our defenses has helped help a little bit. But it's a it's constant work um, and being able to adjust, adjust to the players that we have. Um, understanding when you take over a program, you can't just play the style of basketball that you ultimately want to play. Like you have to be able to play what's going to work best for them. And as you add and, you know, recruit and, and build, you know, maybe you can start doing some things. But one of the things I think we've, we've done really well is just making adjustments and utilizing what we have to the best of our abilities. But it is a, it's a working progress, but it, uh, it's getting better every single day and the confidence is growing, but it won't grow if you don't put the work in. I do, we do have a, a full roster right now who's committed to just growing and getting better. That's exciting. And uh, you mentioned the identity, obviously, defend, rebound, and champion plays. So let's dive a little bit deeper into some of those things. I know, maybe first talk about what's Camp D up, coach? (laughs) Camp D up is something uh, I started uh, years ago when I was coaching in Northeastern. And it's it's not not mine. It's uh, been taken and recreated, let's just say that. Sherry Cole um, did it when she was at Oklahoma, um, heard about it and had a conversation with her and then just pulled it and kind of made it our own thing, but I love the concept again, because I feel like there, I have this passion and desire from being really, really great at it. So the first few days of practice is all defense. I'm talking about from closeouts to just all our principles, to how we're in the gaps, um, to how we guard ball screens, to transition defense, to shell drill, 
Um, everything is focused on what our defense is going to be about that year. And what I found with Camp Up is there's a level of excitement. I was thinking about not doing it this year, which is interesting. One of my players brought it up and she was like, I'm so excited about Camp Up," And I'm like, oh, I was actually thinking about maybe not doing it this year. And after that and having more conversation with our staff, like it's it's what we do. So we're going to keep doing it um, because why, in order why were you to, thinking about not doing it? Our summer looked a little bit different. It yeah. looked a little bit different with us going on a foreign tour. And we had put a lot of things in um, defensively over uh, that seven, eight weeks. Um, so I just thought maybe we can just kind of keep adding and building. But um, after some conversations and, and seeing that our kids are actually like thinking about it, it makes me excited because they know that that's what we're about. It wasn't going to change. Our identity was not going to change. Just the concept and the way in which we were going to go about it this year may have, but it's not. It's we're going to we're going to do it again. And we make it fun. We chart. We have a board where we're competing. You know, we're keeping track of deflections and steals and charges, those type of things. And we have a, a camp winner of the day. And then we have a camp D up um, of the usually it's three days. We'll have someone who wins over the three days. We watch film as well. So we'll start this first day watching film of why why defense is our identity and what it looks like when we're all together. Five people on the court playing playing hard nosed defense what those champion board plays look like when we're getting deflections and steals and we're rotating and we're scrambling and we're finishing the play with a defensive rebound or box outs to lead to a defensive rebound. So I love it um, because I get excited about the defensive end. I just feel like so much can happen when you can be really, really focused and determined on that side. And our goal is that we're going to keep, you know, building and improving the offensive end and transition has to be a big part of that. And no better way than to get a defensive rebound or a steal and then push and transition. Hey coach, brief time out from the podcast to bring you the Analytics Minute sponsored by Hoopsalytics. Do you know which players should be taking what kind of shots? An analytics system like Hoopsalytics can help your team make better shot selection decisions. You can track every kind of shot each player takes, where the shots come from, rate the shot quality, track if the shot was contested, and see the results. For example, see which players are taking mid-range floaters and measure the results versus catch-and-shoot jumpers. As an added bonus, Hoopsalytics shot charts are fully interactive, so you can filter by shot distance, shot type, or even specific areas of the floor. Then watch video clips of all those shots or see the points per shot. Hoopsalytics brings the most powerful analytics to teams of all levels. It's easy to use and affordable. It's like AI for basketball coaches. Visit hoopsalytics.com ball today. That's H-O-O-P-S-A-L-Y-T-I-C-S dot com slash ball today to learn more and start analyzing your game for free. Well, you love it. Keep doing it, coach. Uh, it's great. <laughs> and it's great that your players identify with it now as well. And uh, another thing, you don't necessarily hear this as much on defense, but I totally agree with it. This concept of being unpredictable. And I think coaches are doing this more and more to not have this one defense that solves all in this one system that solves all. So talk to us about being unpredictable on defense. Yeah, I've, I've definitely grown, grown into this, but I think back on the first year here, um, what ways can we just like make people um, not be able to do what they want to do um, the entire game? So what what things can we throw out there, whether it be we, we may start in a press, but we show a different press another time. We may may play man in, in this possession and we go zone another possession. We might come out of a timeout in one one defense and we switch it over. So it's how can we create... <laughs> more more possessions for ourselves how can we not allow teams to be comfortable so maybe the coach knows but the players may all of a sudden they think we're going to be in man we're, we're doing something different so mixing up defenses same same way with ball screens um we don't guard ball screens the same way um and that was something that's developed over the years too for me where i actually love mixing up defenses uh ball screen defenses and again not being predictable so we may do this now, tomorrow, we may do something different. So we work on a lot of different ball screen coverages. And that's why it becomes really scout specific. Like what things can we do against this team that maybe we can't do against the next team because they have this and vice versa. So you talked about uh, obviously being unpredictable. You talked about some of your absolutes. So thinking about both those things, is there something tactically that is an absolute for Colgate women's basketball every single game? defensively yeah yeah so the way we close out is an absolute um so it's one one hand high hand um the, the stick hand um just our base we're squared we're chest to chest so that's an absolute for us in the way that we close out 
And then, um, but the tactic changes for closeouts, like in terms of where you yeah. force and who you're exactly. Okay. Um, so that goes more to the the scout. And does this kid want to go right? Do they, do they want to go left? Are they a three point shooter? We might close out a little bit more aggressively. So the foundation and the principle in which we close out is usually the same. Um, our communication never changes. We're really adamant about talking early, loud, and often. Um, we're really, really adamant about competing on a defensive end. I'm always talking about multiple efforts. It can't just be one. Got to get that second one in there. Um, scrambling is a big part of what we do and, and just how, like, you might be good for the first five, six, seven seconds. You navigate a screen. All of a sudden, you got to figure out how to scramble and still finish the possession. So we put them in different situations um, to try to find success there. And then how within practice are you getting them to understand the variations in terms of the closeout decision? Yeah, we um we break it down. So we'll we'll play some some specific drills. One of the things that we'll do in Camp D up is learn each other. Like we'll do a scouting report on the team so that we're already doing that before we get to to scouts. Like we have players on our team that some of them prefer to go left and they're righties. Um, some of them are left-handed and prefer, you know, vi- you know, they they will they have certain tendencies. And I some of them are really good at three-point shooting. So it's okay. Now you know the scout on your teammate. Let's guard them in a certain way. So we'll do drills where it's this kid is not, your teammate is not allowed to go right. Okay, if they go right, then we're going to start this over. There's going to be some consequences for it. So we're building that up um, in some like disadvantage type situations. Yeah, it's great stuff. I love that uh, self-scout and understanding not just yourself, but your teammates as well. And that should translate to helping them on offense, understand how to take advantage of each other's strengths as well, shouldn't it? Absolutely. Um, and I always say to them, I might be watching offense right now because that's what we're working on. But, I, you know, the defense is important and vice versa. If we're working on defense, you should always be working, thinking about offense and not turning it over and making good decisions. So you work. We're always working both sides of the floor all the time. Love it. Um, you referenced, obviously, defensive rebounding. You referenced how your defense can help you steal some potential possessions. So talk to us about some of the things that you stat on defense, some of the analytics that you really value that help support your defensive philosophy. Yeah, so we'll stat um, deflections. That's big for us. Um, And we're we're building last year. We we end up pressing a lot. So when we're talking about traps, our goal is to let's see if we can get a deflection because a deflection helps, you know, that rotation be able to get a steal. Ultimately, So we'll stat that we'll start stat steals. We love charges. Um, I just think is a great momentum um, builder and, and shift. So we'll, we'll chart that. Rebounding is something that, that we chart as well. Um, we chart where um, box out percentages. So, and we'll do this on the offensive end too. The offensive end is more so box out efforts. So we're not worried about how many offensive rebounds you're getting on the offensive end. We're just worried about how hard you're actually crashing the boards. But on the defensive end specifically, are you making contact? Are you checking if you don't have, if you can't make contact because your guy's not, um crashing the boards but we stopped that during practices um and we've seen an uptick just in in that and i have a, a group of really smart like our players are brilliant and that's the the fun part too is we're able to do a lot of different things because they're able to handle a lot of different things which makes it really fun and exciting but one of the things that we learned is when we give them information stats to them it's like all of a sudden they're like oh they see it and now it helps them you know challenge themselves and have something to look look to and look forward to so they see it after every practice what their box out percentage is what their crash percentage is and we've seen just a different level of determination to be really really good at that end and we talk a lot and emphasize through film too so a lot of it is not just in the physical play we're showing them what good defense is when we have great rotations and we're showing them ways to continue to improve but you know for us is we're never going to be perfect in any possession offensively or defensively but speaking specifically defensively I don't care if you miss a rotation. I don't care if your closeout isn't how it's supposed to be. As long as you keep playing hard and you just try your very best and you hustle, great things happen because it always will. And, and the hardest part is that scramble piece. But if you can find a way to keep hustling, good things are going to happen more often than not. It is what you define as a box out, are they different <laughs> on the perimeter versus the interior in terms of how you stat it and you provide, obviously, uh, a value for them? Yeah. So if you're so there, some guards that won't crash, especially, especially like a point guard, they might be thinking about heading back. But when we chart it, if your guy's not crashing, there has to be some like visual of a check um, and also a point, too. So when we're charting it is if you didn't check or point, that means you weren't thinking about boxing out. And it has to be something that's on your mind. The others, though, if you're not making contact, <laughs> 
um, then you know you're not going to get that uh, that possession. Is, is it butt butt contact or tee up contact? What are you emphasizing? Yeah, it's butt con contact. We're bumping and holding, um, mm -hmm. depending on where they are in the perimeter. And then for me, it's about pursuing the ball because there are going to be times where a lot has to happen at once. So if someone's crashing, can you just take them off their path? But maybe you're not you're not able to hold them, so you're just tagging and bumping a little bit, and you're grabbing to go. So you have to be able to figure out as it's happening, but it has to be quick. And sometimes maybe they're not crashing. You can just pursue the rebound, but we need to be able to see that on film and you don't get credit for it if you don't actively show it. And we, we tell them, we go through it in the, in the beginning of the year, we go through at different points in the year when we're showing, Hey, these are great box up um, possessions. This is what it looks like. This is the situation where you could have done this. So they know. Um, and at, at this point they're they're aware what a good possession is. Well, I love that con uh, that, uh, Point that you made about regardless of what's happening with your offensive player you want to make your box out visible and it's a conscious thing mm. that whether you're pointing or you're physically making contact we know that you thought about it that's a brilliant concept coach <laughs> um with that uh we talk a little bit about uh crash effort offensive rebounding so maybe give us an oversight what are you doing in terms of offensive rebounding and then how do you define that crash effort in terms of the analytics. Yeah, we always have one player that gets back um, and we have four players that crash the offensive boards. Typically you'll have one player kind of roam, you know, above the, the free throw line area, but there has to be some form of pursuit. So we're looking at in this possession, did you make an effort to crash the boards? Again, we don't care about if you got the rebound, we care about, did you allow yourself to be boxed out? Um, we teach them different ways to, whether it's spinning, swimming, juking your defender, like you can't allow yourself to be boxed out, whatever it takes. Um, and again, that has been something that has grown into, you know, our kids are really bought into to being really great on that side of the floor. And there are times where they need reminders. So some some kids, their percentages may be 50 percent. And I tell them it's not OK. So our identities defend, rebound and make champion plays. So if we're not rebounding on both ends of the floor. We're not putting ourselves in a position to find success. So those are things that we can control. We may not be able to control that ball going in the basket, but we sure enough can control how hard that we play. Love it. And I know we're aligned on this, the value of disadvantage advantage drills. And so give us a perspective on that, how that helps you shape your defense and obviously your offense as well. Yeah. Um, the disadvantage drills is something we've, we've done a lot more um, over the last like year and a half, just trying to help them become better decision makers offensively and then also trying to help them. Um, finish plays defensively because we're usually really good at, you know, let's get through the screen. And then all of a sudden when things break down, what are we doing? Um, so we'll start it up where sometimes if the the offense has a ball, they may be on their hip. They may be on their um, behind them. They may be in front of them or we'll recreate a situation that may have happened in the game. You know, maybe whether it's like a ball screen situation and all of a sudden the ball goes or the ball handler has a ball and then now they have to scramble to finish the play. We'll do some rebounding drills where it's out of a disadvantage as well. So they're having to scramble to find find someone a box and then still pursue the rebound. But we found like these drills are transferable on both sides. So when we're working on defense, um, whether it's a blind or a hip or, um, or a behind one-on-one um, -on -one situation, two-on-two, three-on-three, we'll build it up sometimes to five-on-five. -five. We found that it is really good for us to scramble and still figure out how to get a stop even if you're beat. Um, and then also trying to find ways to to make plays um, out of an advantage that you may have created. So and we can talk about this. I'm not sure your perspective on it. One, I love advantage disadvantage drills. One of the challenges is sometimes your offense gets a false sense of the advantage. And one of the hardest things that we know in basketball is to create an advantage from neutral. Um, yeah. So talk to us about how you balance that. Yes, and we're not all only doing it. Yeah. Um, so there are times like, let's say we're about to play against a team that, um, plays a lot of middle ball screens. And I know if we're going to, let's say, guard a ball screen in a certain way, this is what they're looking for. So we're going to put ourselves in this situation to figure out how to make a play. So whether that's a rotation that has to drop and come from the weak side, um, whether that's the post player having to be ready to communicate and switch. We'll drill that specifically. Like this is what we need to be ready for because this is what they're looking for. Um, so sometimes that's like really scout specific. So it's not really our offense. But at the same time, when our players are coming off of things, okay, we got to work on creating advantages for ourselves. So that two on two, three on three, four on four type situations. We spend a lot of time doing that too. I love it. It's a lot of fun and uh, competitively talk about uh, again 
you're trying to develop defense, you're trying to develop offense. Talk about how you balance that with competition. Competition is big and that's one of our absolutes. So as much as we want them to drive themselves and just be a competitor in everything we do, we also have to create situations for them. So I would say almost everything is competitive, whether we're doing a shooting drill individually against themselves, against teams, um, whether we're doing, um, we're playing, everything is scored, it's time, there's goals. So that's something that we do in, in every practice there's going to be some form of competition because I want them thinking about winning and being at their best every single day. Sometimes we'll, um, I will be in a situation where maybe it's, uh, we're playing like five minutes, um, a little half court segment. I might say next basket wins. So all of a sudden you're like, wait, we were up, <laughs> we were up. And all of a sudden she's telling me next basket wins. Yeah. So now your drive is a little bit different. Now who's going to get a stop? Who's going to be able to put that ball in the basket? So just trying to find different ways. It's partly fabrication, right? But what we end up finding is they they draw and their level of comp- competition, you know, goes up a notch. Uh, talk to us a little bit more about uh, obviously being scout specific, as you mentioned, and then how you build that within the today, the two, three days prior to an opponent. Because once you get into your schedule, obviously you're doing multiple games and Obviously, only a few practices to be able to get ready to be able to adjust your defense. So talk to us about how you do that. Yeah, and and that's why Camp D up has been um, really good because we're able to get a lot in at once. So when we have to do it again later on for a scout, it's not the first time they've our closeout has changed. Instead of being squared, maybe we're fully influencing someone to, to go left. Um, and that takes away from a principle of no middle drives, which I didn't bring up earlier. But our goal is if we're going to be beat, um, they're going to go baseline because that's where our best help comes from. So we find opportunities. I always feel like the preseason, um, the postseason, preseason, summer, preseason, those are the months where you're trying to rebuild or build, you know, how are you going to play and what you're going to look like during the season so that when we get in the season is two, three days. We spend a lot of time in October, maybe going over some some actions that we may have seen an opponent ran a year ago. And they may not do it again, but if they're going to do a cross screen, down screen, we're going to know how to guard it. Um, so we try to expose them as much as we can so that when we get into those situations, hey, all of a sudden this team wants to run five out offense, this team wants ball screen motion. We've already seen it and guarded it. So in those two days, it's more so of a refresher. So a refresher and then obviously using video as well. So talk to us about how you connect the video for your players in terms of the scout specific adapt- adapt- adaptations. Yeah, film is, is really big for us. So a lot of film, um, even before game starts, we're watching film on ourselves. So if it's a day that we're really, really focused on, hey, we're going to guard this way, we're going to reflect and watch it back. So show some good, show, show what we call teaching film. So not bad, we're just teaching. Um, but then when it comes to scouts, it's personnel. A lot of it is heavy personnel driven. Um, and then a lot of it also is this is what they really trying to figure out what an opponent wants to do and how they're trying to score. In what ways we're not going to be able to stop everything, but what is a couple of things that we can try to do to slow them down from what they're usually comfortable doing? So we'll come up with that game plan as a coaching staff, and we're very clear. And again, uh, a group of of uh, players who are really, really bought in. I mean, they're asking questions, they're watching, they're pointing, and they're like, "Oh, do you want to do this?" Da, 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 da. So it's gotten to a point where now, like, there's a lot of collaboration. There's even been times last year that I'll ask them, "How do you feel about this?" Because there's that trust that's been built. Like, how do you feel about doing this? And then maybe we'll switch to that. And then they'll share it because I want them to feel like, hey, there, how are we going to defend um, whatever scheme we're going to use? It has to be them that is really bought into doing it. And when they are the ones that are making some of those decisions, all of a sudden the level of interest just goes up and the passion and the competitiveness even gets higher. Fun. And uh, I know one of the things that uh, is common, not just to you, but to many coaches, obviously you hire good people and good people leave sometimes and i know you've had some staff challenges where you've had to replace people at some different times of the season can you just give us some insights in terms of that process in terms of how you go about trying to find someone that fits you and fits your program and your players yeah i I would say number one is um the value piece is important to me so if i'm someone philosophy wise i'm someone that is uh, really big on relationships and the person first um, I'm at a high academic institution, so you already know academics is going to come always before basketball. Um, and then that development piece with basketball is also important as well. But really trying to find people who are like minded in my values and the things that are important to them. Um, that's first and foremost, um, finding people who are 
just as or even more competitive than me. I think that's hard to find, but competitors, you know, people that strive for excellence, people that work at it, work really, really hard. Um, those things are important. Um, and then loyalty also is important, making sure that, you know, what I'm saying, they're com communicating the same way and there's that level of trust. Uh, so ultimately, like, you don't have to be the most experienced, but if you can be someone that's going to work as hard as you as you can, you have a desire to continue to grow, that's, that's important to me. Um, and you're doing it for the right reasons. And we don't have a job if we don't have players, right? So like, we need the athletes, we need to support them, we need to be servant leaders to them. So they, they all have to have that same mentality. Um, and I feel really lucky with the group that I have with me right now. We're all connected on the same page and all striving for the same goal. As many coaches at many levels that uh, are at high academic schools, and there's certain challenges that come with that. It's not all just, you know, we get smart players and it's easy. One of the challenges, as we know, is is classes are much harder to be able to adapt to your practice times and different things that come with that. Can you talk about those challenges? Because I don't think people are aware of that, that it's not just a simple, let's practice 9 to 11 every day and everyone's there on time, is it? Yeah, not at all. And every school <laughs> is different. Every yep. school is unique. Um, so every school that I've been at, high academic, um, has been very different in its own ways. And, and Colgate, as special as it is, has some some very unique differences. So from out-of-class assignments, that, that that is mandatory and we have to work around. But when I recruit kids here, I tell them I'm going to support you. Um, academics will come first. And that stands. Um, and it doesn't change, nor does it waver. Um, but it can be very challenging because you need your whole team. Sometimes kids have to leave early. Sometimes they have to make up a lift. But we do work around it. And uh, as challenging as it is, there's always a way. We can't practice from 9-11. We typically, like when we get into season practices is after four o'clock. Um, so all the academics usually done. There's a couple of days during the week, um, especially in the in the preseason, we may do something during the day around people's class schedules. But when we get into the heart of practicing for the season, it's after four. So it ends up being a, a longer day. And there is no working around that. <laughs> uh, that's just what it is. And um, once you get used to it, then it is what it is. And you just you just work around it. Well, coaches listening may not be aware of that, but that's that's pretty rare for Division Ones nowadays. Most of them practice in the morning. And one of the big reasons they practice in the morning is so obviously players have nights free, but more importantly, that you have nights free <laughs> to be able to recruit and do a lot of those other things that are such an important part of your job. So maybe talk yeah. about that, that that's an extra challenge to this layer. It is. It is definitely an extra challenge. Um, our location is an is an extra challenge, too. So there might be times where like an assistant is out. Maybe they could have been gone for a day and now they'd be out for two days because everything is four or five hours away. Um, we're not able to recruit at night, but we, we're lucky to have some places close enough. And you know, Syracuse and recruiting the state of New York helps a little bit. But when we're practicing at, at 430, most days, it's it's hard to get out to a, a game at night. So a lot of planning, trying to get out whenever we can, maybe it's an off day. So trying to be strategic in that way, but for sure, it's uh, being as creative as possible. Coach, you were a division three head coach before and now division one head coach. And uh, maybe talk about Colgate in particular, how this experience has uh, helped you. And then obviously uh, your love for what you're doing. Yeah. I, um, I always feel like you can't do anything without people. And we have some really special people here at Colgate from the president, starting with the president and on down the support I've had from the beginning from other coaches, people in the department has been uh, second to none. And then ultimately just the people that I am with on a daily basis with with our staff, like it's a place that draws and attracts special people. Um, so I've been really, really fortunate with that and the, the players I'm able to recruit. I've been really fortunate with the type of people, too. Um, so for me, it's like, it's, it's everything that you, that I would have wanted, um, being able to come into a situation that I knew I had to build, right. And it wasn't going to be easy. Um, but that, that I was going to have support through it. And I, and I've had that from the beginning and I still have it now. Well, and you still got it and you're still building it. And that's wonderful as well. And I, I got to give you credit, coach. We have a relationship because you reached out to me and, uh, that was wonderful. And I was grateful for that. And I'm grateful for all the relationship we've had, but, uh, Maybe talk a little bit about that process of reaching out to me and then uh, some of the influence that basketball immersion has had. Yeah, your your name came up years ago. Um, I was on a WBCA, um, like a mentorship group call, um, and there was a coach on the call that mentioned you ever since. I'm like, let me find out this guy. Let me look him up. Um, so you're always someone that like 
oh, I can, you know, gain a lot from and learn from and love some of the things that you were talking about, some of the concepts, some of the, the coaches that you were interviewing and having master classes with. Um, so as we're in this uh, process of the build, you know, just trying to continue to, you know, I'm not shy to, to ask questions. Um, you I are not. <laughs> I, I love it. I will reach out to colleagues. Um, I'll reach out to my mentors um, consistently, just trying to pull and grow. Because ultimately, for me, is like if I ever get tired of growing, I need to just get be done with this. So whatever information I can grab, I can pull to help myself continue to grow as a coach, um, to help my players continue to grow as, as players. Um, I think it's only going to do us, um, you know, put us in a good position to find success. So being able to to work with you and collaborate with you and pick your brain has been has been great. Um, love our relationship, and I'm looking forward to to more more questions, uh, more thoughts and suggestions, and you know, bouncing things off of you. Hey, we're trying this. What do you think? So I think it's been special, and I've I've really really appreciated it. Well, I've appreciated it as well, Coach. It's been wonderful, and um, grateful to finally get you on the podcast and be able to share the game with everyone and share yourself with everyone too. And I think it's real special what you're doing. And we look forward to following you as you continue to build Colgate. Thank you. I appreciate it, Chris. Thank you so much. Get the best instructional coaching with immersionvideos.com. Are you looking to become a better coach? Then immersionvideos.com is the perfect solution for you. Their downloadable videos provide expert coaching from all over the world to help you develop the skills needed to take your coaching to the next level. Get all access practice and clinic footage from some of the best coaches in basketball, including Nate Oates, Tobin Anderson, Doug Novak, Mark Cassio, Dave Smart, Francisco Nanny, and more. Try immersionvideos.com today and become an even better coach. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the basketball podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things basketball immersion, Subscribe to our newsletter at basketballmergent.com slash newsletter. Mm-hmm.